Hey folks, on today's episode of Brenzor's Dead, today, today's episode, or should I say this episode? On this episode of Brenzor's Dead, yeah, we're talking to Pete Shirey. Pete, as you all might know, is a, um, he's an icon in the industry. Everybody knows him, everybody likes him. If you don't like him, I don't know, man, there might be something wrong with you, because Pete's a good dude. Um, but if there is someone who doesn't like him, I'd like to hear about it because I think that needs to be talked about. You know what I mean? All right. Anyway, we talk about everything that we talk about uh, from Megalodons to what he did in a past life and why he's in gaming. And most importantly, folks, we get to figure out how to say the fucking company he works for, how to say the name because it's, it's been an issue for a long time. It's Pete Shirey on Brenzor's Dead. <laughs> how's, that, how's that? I'm playing around with some new intro music. I like it. I like it. It's very catchy. I gotta have something or else it's just, hey. Oh, what's the show starting? (laughs) (laughs) So I think if there's like an indicator that, hey, we're on, you know, such as, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's starting. My toes are tapping the minute that comes on. Mm -hmm. I can't help myself. It was either this or uh, Baby Shark. I like that too, though. That's a a tough call. That's a tough call. I know. I know. I know. So, uh, hey, man, thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. My pleasure. I do appreciate it. And um, for uh, everyone listening, I'm here with the uh, amazing Pete Shirey. I don't know about the amazing part, but I am Pete Shirey. (laughs) You are Pete Shirey. Um, So, hey, man, how you doing? How are things? Things are fantastic. We're uh, we're slowly getting into the traditional board game off season, so uh, it's been a little nice to have a little more free time in the evenings and weekends, and not have to travel as much. So I've just been finally getting to enjoy all of the fun things I don't get to do during the summer. <laughs> I, I mean, thank Christ, right? Like- yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, we work hard, right? Like a lot of people are like, "Oh my God, you know, you sound like you don't have a whole lot going on right now." Well, I don't. But I worked 50 to 70 hour weeks from February through like September. So when it gets to this time of year, it's just nice to be able to chill and be like, you know what? I can take off early this day because everything's caught up and there's not a lot going on. It's 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 a nice feeling. <laughs> it is, man. And you, as, as, as do I at the moment, you work from home, right? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, which you think would be a lot easier, but I find that when I'm home, and my work laptop in my office is readily available 24-7, I end up working more than I would if I just went to an office and like shut it down at 5 o'clock every day. And I find myself constantly checking emails in the evenings or on weekends. And, uh, you know, so it's not it's not as, as cush as some people probably think it is. And I do want to point out that your bosses are listening. So that's good to let them know that on Sunday – you're on the fucking email. <laughs> yeah. If they, if well, they send you something on Sunday at like 11.15 during like the end of the second quarter of the Bucks game, motherfucker, you're going to answer. Well, yeah, because the Bucks are already down 30 at that point, so it's not like I'm watching <laughs> anyway. So you are, you are in fact a Bucks guy, right? Uh, absolutely. I was born in New York, but my family moved to Florida when I was like two. So I don't really have a lot of loyalty to New York other than family that live up there. But I grew up – it was raised in Tampa Bay. I, I lived in a, a little town called St. Petersburg, which is about 30 minutes uh, from Tampa. And uh, from the time I was you know, running around uh, as a toddler, it was Bucks shirts and toy footballs. And we'd just gotten the team uh, you know, fairly cl- soon after we moved down there. So you know, they've only been around since like 76 and I was born in 73. So you know, I moved down and I was you know, inaugurated into Buccaneers fandom from the very beginning. Huh. Okay. So you came out you, – you were – how long were you out there in Florida? I lived in Florida until January of 2013. 
Uh, and that's when I retired from UPS and me and my family relocated to Greenville, South Carolina, where uh, my my parents and her parents uh, lived and to get closer to the family because we had a, a daughter. Uh, my daughter, uh, Isabella, who uh, is going to be nine this January, uh, she was born and we decided we wanted her to be closer to family since most of our family didn't live in Tampa anymore. So, so we made a change of life. Uh, decision and moved up here and have been here for the you know for the last uh, se- almost seven years now eight years. So you you guys came out to t- uh, to where did you say South Carolina? Yeah, yeah, Greenville, South Carolina. So you're in South Carolina. You came out there to be closer to family. Yes, yes, because my parents had moved up here about five years prior to us moving up, and we were visiting them every year. You know. Uh, since they moved and my wife just loved the area. So her parents came and checked it out and they fell in love with the area too. It was a cheaper cost of living, slower pace of life, uh, you know, a little bit uh, nicer areas uh, than we were within the areas we lived in in Tampa. So her parents said, Hey, we're going to move up there too. It's gorgeous. Uh, it's affordable to retire. So, so the whole family kind of relocated. My uncle had already moved up uh, to Greenville. Uh, her, it was closer to my wife's family because her brothers live in, uh, or one brother lives in Pennsylvania. So it cut the drive almost in half. Um, so yeah, it just, it just ended up working out. And since then, uh, you know, we've kind of reestablished and made new friends and stuff. And we still visit our friends and go down to Florida once a year to, for a week or so to hang out and stuff. But yeah, we're not, we don't look back. It's, it was a, definitely a great move for us. See, I, I, I find that fascinating because to me, you know, again, we have kids, you and I, we have kids around the same age, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're, they're right now, everyone's eight. Mm-hmm. So like, it's a giant it could be, it's a giant pain in the ass sometimes, like to try to raise all these children and, and work and do that, whatever life work balances that other people seem to find, but I, I don't seem to have it. Um, we try, we, yeah. my wife and I try, man, but it's a, it's a drag. Like, Oh, it is for sure. I haven't found that magic formula yet either. I, uh, the only time I've ever felt like I've had work-life balance is when I was unemployed. When I moved up here, like I, I, I'd retired from UPS and uh, I moved up here in right after Christmas. My family moved up in like September of 2012, and I stayed to help finish the sale of our house and finish off that Christmas season to bank bank some money uh, while I would be finding out what next career path would be on my way. And uh, the first couple months of 2013, when we moved up here. I like got to be a part of everything. I was part of every school function. I was taking the kids to school and picking them up. I had plenty of free time to game. I mean, I was I was not really beating uh, the pavement as hard as I should have looking for work because I knew I I was planning on taking like a month of just uh, you know taking it easy because I was working oh, yeah. and working myself to the bone the six months prior saving up. So it was nice, uh, but you know, again, once you get back to work and the grind and and whatnot, it just, that kind of all goes away. I I guess when we retire, we'll finally know what that feels like. So you said you retired from UPS. Now, again, like I'm wondering what that means. Cause to me, like I could say, you know, I worked at target from like 90 to 95 when I was a teenager. Yeah. I could say I retired from Target when, in fact, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm just Well, so the, so the reason I call it retire is because at UPS, once you're there 10 years, you're, you're locked in for pension. So anytime after that, if you retire from UPS, when you turn 64 and are able to collect Social Security, your UPS pension will kick in. And based on how long you worked there, you'll get money from from the Teamsters Fund, which is the, the, the pension plan. So um, – so I put in 19 years. So when I hit that 64 magic age and can collect social security and whatnot, I'll also get a check every month from, from the UPS for my time served. You son of a bitch. Look <laughs> at you. It's Look kind of you, the dude. only way I was able to get into the game board game industry, because I know that these jobs aren't like the union job I left. And even though it was a great job with great pay and great benefits, uh, it was, uh, you know, it tore, it tore me down. Like I got bad ankle, bad knees, bad back from it. So I knew I wasn't going to do 30 years. So I figured I would get out while I could still walk. 
and take what pension I've got. And that'll just supplement whatever my next career was. And if I had jumped into a career that also provided like 401k and all that stuff, it would have just been on top of. But since I went into the board game industry, which really doesn't offer a ton of benefits, depending on which companies you're with, um, it uh, it gives me a little bit of reassurance that when my time at this is done, I've got a little something extra coming to help offset, you know, retirement. So, dude, you realize that so you spent 19 years at UPS and you're going to get a pension because you stay there over 10 years and whatever, mm-hmm. whatever dollars are coming. You do realize that that is going to be what most people are should have done because like our social security ain't going to be there. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, uh, I'm only a year older than you, man. And like when I'm 65, it's going to be like dust in the wind. Bro. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's uh like I said, and we're, we're, we're trying to be smart. Like my wife maxes out her 401k uh, and she's younger than me by six years. So she's going to work a little longer, which will help offset my retirement. So when I, when I get into my early sixties and decide to call it quits, um, she will still have another five or six years, maybe, or even longer in the workforce. So that'll help offset my retirement. And then when I, when, when she retires, she will have a 401k that she'll have had for 20 plus years at that point contributed sure. into. So we're hoping between all of that and, and the other investments that we're, we're, we're trying to play smart and, and make sure that not only will we have plenty of money for our retirement, but that, you know, for other things that crop up, like my daughter, when she's you know, gets married, we're going to need to pay for a wedding. We're going to got a car, maybe college. So we're trying to be smart about it all, but you know, you never have enough, but you know, you do the best you can with what you got. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. So from that point, you said, cause you weren't in, you, were you a gamer? Cause you said you weren't in gaming. So we'll get to that in a minute, but yeah. were you a gamer prior? Like, yeah. and I mean, tabletop video games, what were you doing? Oh, everything. So I was fortunate that when I moved to Florida and I grew up and got into around high school age, there was a comic book store that was within bike riding distance, which I know back then was a lot larger than it is now, but it was a, maybe a mile or so from my house. It was li- literally my neighborhood opened up onto a road and it was directly across the street from there. So it, you know, it was about a mile from my house. So me and my friend, uh, my best friend, Donnie would ride our bikes up there and get comics every week. Uh, and it was called Emerald city, uh, comics and games. Uh, it was originally just Emerald city comics, but then as they, you know, as they'd been in business for decades, uh, they expanded when stores next to them went out of business, they would buy up the next storefront and expand. And eventually they had enough space where they opened up a gaming side. So they had very rudimentary. It was at that time, it was mostly magic L five R. Uh, it was like the whole gambit of collectible card games that came out back then in the, in the early to mid nineties. So we were, we would just start getting involved in that. And uh, the, one of the guys that ran it there, his name is Dennis. He was in charge of that gaming side of the store. Just started getting me hooked up into board games as well. We started with miniatures games. And and then one night he just you know he started pulling out board games, uh, demo copies they had. And it just kind of sparked that love. Now, I'd played board games my whole life. I mean, I grew up with you know, uh, clue and sorry yeah, and monopoly yeah, yeah. and Scotland yard. And, and the, the, the basics, everyone has played at one point or another, but, but the it downside was outside of gaming. Yeah. yeah, no. <laughs> But it was shortly after high school where I got involved into like the you know, Marvel, the Marvel role-playing game and D and D and, and then, you know, as I got more entrenched into the, 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 the culture of board gaming from the game store, it just kind of grew. Okay. Okay, so then you started doing gaming and all that, and you've been a video. I've known you as both, like tabletop and video games, since I've known you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned Don, you and your pal Donnie. Is that our Donnie? Yes, that's is our, that Don. our Donnie from yep. our, our league. Yeah, our Madden league. Yep, yep. That I've known Donnie since uh, I was in pre-K. Believe it or not, we went to the same preschool and we went to the same elementary school. And then for a couple of years, when we moved, when I moved to a different town, I went to a different school for like two years and then back, moved back into that area when I was uh, going into second grade. And then we went to school together from second grade all the way through high school in the same school. And 
After right. after I graduated, I went to college. Donnie went into the workforce, and we just always lived within ten minutes of each other. So we stayed in touch, and you know, we always had our love for video games and sports. I mean, I can't tell you how many times throughout my childhood I would go to his house and spend the night, and we'd play Nintendo, or he'd come to my house and spend the night, and we'd play Sega all night until four or five in the morning. I mean, we were video <laughs> game nuts, and we loved sports too. So we'd play football and we'd throw baseball and hit golf balls in the field. And, you know, we did all that fun stuff you do as, as childhood friends, we were active in sports, but then in the evenings it was in front of a console till the wee hours of the morning. So luckily he lived about the same bike ride distance, about a mile away. So we would, we would all very often over the summers and weekends uh, be at each other's houses playing video games. That was kind of our pre board gaming. That was our, our life was Nintendo, super Nintendo Genesis, all that. Uh, same man. And like back in the day, you could do the bit where, Oh, I'm going to ride my bike over at, you know, seven in the morning when I get up. And <laughs> of course, you know, you come home whenever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, it's just dark. Who gives, who gives a rat's ass? It's dark. I don't care. I'm still going to ride my bike home whenever, whenever we're done beating Metroid or whatever it was. Yep. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> now, obviously we can't do that today. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> We barely I let mean, my daughter out of the neighborhood, let alone ride her bike like three miles or two miles to any other place. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. I can't even – I couldn't even fathom letting my kids go at eight years old and like even go down to the park. Like we have a couple parks in our neighborhood that are easily walking distance. I mean mm -hmm. one is about two minutes. The other one's about ten minutes. And – I'm, t I'm like, you can't even go to the two minute part, dude. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I, you can't do it. It's and just a different world today. I mean, yeah, there was the same creeps and, and crazy stuff happening back then, but the frequency was just not nearly as, uh, as much. So parents were a little more liberal with, you know, letting their kids kind of have a, a leash and go and do their thing. But man, I tell you, it's just, it, the world we live in scary place. And I think that, uh, it's just frightened this generation's parents into, not really giving their kids that same freedom and leash. They want to be more protective. So, well, and I, I mean, like I read articles all the time as I'm sure do you about, you know, the helicopter parent and let the kids go and, and all this. And I'm like, I'll never fucking see them again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they'll, they'll be gone. They'll be it. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't, you know, I think about it and I go, I don't know. Did, did the same stuff happen? Like it's like it did today, but we didn't know about it because obviously we didn't have the internet. We didn't have this, you know, constant stream of connectivity to where anything. Dude, if somebody farts somewhere in the world, it's news on you know Breitberg or CNN or, or wherever it's news. Yeah. But like, I don't know. Like, I I kind of wonder if like this stuff does did happen. And, like, obviously, bad things happen all the time. But I mean, I just feel like things ramped up so bad, so quick. And I don't know if it is strictly due to the connectivity. We all know what everybody's doing. We know where everybody's at at any given time so we can go find them. Oh, I believe that's um, totally it. I, I, I honestly think that just as oh much God. crazy stuff happened back then. But if it didn't happen in your town or your city, you didn't necessarily hear about it because there wasn't national news. It was all your local yeah. broadcast news up until the big the big corporations started opening up these giant networks. It was You just heard about local news. So you heard about what happened in your neck of the woods, which, you know, maybe wasn't necessarily as bad as some other areas. But as as we grew and the Internet became more prevalent in our lives, I think it's just opened your eyes to all the crazy stuff that happens everywhere, every day, every second of the day. And and that's kind of what scared this generation, because back then, I'm sure there was just as many crazy people, but you just hear about it more. So you're more aware of what's out there, which frightens you and kind of makes you pull in a little bit. Well, I, I don't really remember. And I, I don't disagree with you at all, man. I think you're, you're spot on. And as a parent, you got to do what you feel right about, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you just, you can't go, well, the people down the street seem to think it's okay to let the kid ride a bike to Seven Eleven that's three miles away. So I should do that too. You can't, I don't know. I can't do that. Everybody can do whatever the hell they want, but I, I, I would not feel comfortable with that one bit. But I wonder, like, you know, when I was growing up, I remember the first time I remember hearing about like a kid getting murdered, which is, you know, horrible, was um, that like Adam Walsh boy, you know, from and there was like a movie about it. And, and clearly it became the dad, John Walsh, went on to create America's Most Wanted. And it was a horrific story about this 
young boy who, you know, had something terrible happen to him by some maniac. But like prior to that, I never heard of things. And I'm not saying they didn't happen, but you just didn't hear about them. And that made national news because it wasn't in San Diego. I don't believe it was in San Diego. Um, but I remember seeing about it. And then like the milk carton kids. Remember the milk carton stuff? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Fucking children on the side of a milk Don't carton. see that anymore. But but yeah, I remember I that. Oh. did because but I guess now we have Amber Alert, which. Yeah, I mean, well, the thing is the milk carton's a slower way, to be honest. It's, it's by the time you've time processed the picture yeah, well, and printed it on milk cartons and got it out, you could just throw a news a news bulletin on yeah, your internet. I mean, right. And yeah, it's just, yeah. it's not as effective as it used to be. So it's not a real good use of the resources. I mean, you can just have a YouTube channel to dedicated to that or throw it out to social media and it'll it'll catch fire way faster than a milk carton now. I don't know, man, you know, and I've had this conversation with many people many times. And, you know, I, it's it's hypocritical, hypocritical of me to say, because obviously I'm using the Internet right now. But <laughs> holy shit, if we rolled it back to like 1994, I'm down. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, a lot of us are age. A lot of us people our age would feel that way. I mean, we lived in a time before cell phones. We lived in a time before the Internet. We lived in a time. And you know what? Most of us turned out okay. We had pretty good childhoods. We had li- we we were more social. Uh, we were probably all in a lot better shape. Uh, the internet is the, for all the good that the internet has done in order to make it working from home even a thing. Any at this point, day and age, I, my job wouldn't exist if 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 uh, if it wasn't for the internet. So, I mean, it's for all the good it's done. There are definitely things that you know you wish you could get a do over on. Oh, like, I know. I know. And I'm trying to stay off of certain, and you know, I won't let my kids, well, they don't, they will not have the computer in their room, the cell phones in the bedroom, like for a variety of reasons, but mostly it's like the whole, if there's like bullying or something like that they're getting, I don't want them to, you know, come home to where it's like, you know, home base is safe. Right. Like yeah. you're, you should, when you come home, cause I got picked on when I was a kid. And like, when I came home, I was like, Oh, I have my action figures and my transformers in my bedroom and I feel safe here and nobody can mess with me. And it was good. Like I felt comfortable at least. Um, mm-hmm. Oh wait, I take that back with the exception of the fucking monster stepbrother pieces of shit that I lived with. Those guys <laughs> were motherfuckers. They would terrorize you, but that was a whole different, that's a whole different story. Yeah. Uh, that's brothers being brothers. Yeah. But I hope they got hit by a bus and died already. I mean, that's, you know, I have, I don't know where they are and I hope they're dead. Um, but like, you know, coming home from school, man, if like you got picked on, like it would end, it would be over. And so I don't want the kids having stuff in their room where they can like log on and see it, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. you should be, you should have a safe space at home. So until they're 18, they're not getting computers in their own room. Yeah. We, my daughter doesn't have a computer in her room either. She has an iPad that she plays on, but it's, it's, we've got the parental locks and stuff on it. So she can only do certain things and see certain right. things with it. Well, that's called being a responsible parent, right? I mean, that's <laughs> look, I mean, your kid plays games, my kids play games, but you know, I don't let the little boys play mortal Kombat. I mean, right, right, I'll right. let them play uh super smash brothers and some would argue it's the exact same thing, but I don't know. I don't think it is. I feel one is a lot more cute than the other. Yeah. I you believe know? you're right. Yeah. I mean, and the I switch like- is great for kids, right? Because there's not a right. lot of interactivity with other people. You may play multiplayer games, but you can't talk to them. You can't, unless you set up all that stuff for the most part, it's emotes or highs and, it's well, a real good platform for younger kids. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, I do like I like them playing games because I've been a gamer for I counted it now. It's 40 years now that I've been mm-hmm. a gamer. And I feel like it's been pretty good to me. I think it's it's led to a career path and it's led to being able to afford a home and have a family. And so, OK, like I, I, want, I believe in gaming where, you know, we go to my kids school and we hear like, you know, video games of the devil sometimes from certain people. And I'm like, well, they're not. But if you let your, you know, five-year-old play Fortnite, well, yeah. you know, that's on that's you. Why, yeah. Maybe that's why they're a dick. Yeah, it's a, there's a difference between uh, video games and bad parenting, and I think people get that misconstrued a lot because if you if the the video games hit the age appropriate audience they're designed for there's a very small chance that it's going to trigger something to make anyone do anything stupid. But when you have 
18 plus year old or 18 plus content on a video game and seven and eight and 10 year olds are congesting or digesting it because their parents have no filter or just can't say no, that's on the parents at that point, because those kids shouldn't be playing those games in the first place. Well, and it's the same parents who are bringing their kids out to see, you know, Joker at 10 o'clock at night on a Thursday. Or yeah, something. they're like sick. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'll never forget that one day I was at GameStop picking up. I forget what I was picking up. I was picking up a present for someone. And it was the day that uh, GTA, one of the GTAs launched. It was probably GTA 5. Yeah. And this mom and her like <laughs> eight, nine-year-old kid walk in there. And she's like, I'd like to get GTA, the new Grand Theft Auto game. And I'm sitting here going, you've <laughs> got to be buying this as a gift, right? And the guy looks down at the kid and he says, you do know this game is rated M for mature or whatever it was. And, and she said, oh, yeah, it's fine. And I'm looking at that kid, and I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm going to see you on the news one day. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and, this kid couldn't have been any older than, like, nine or ten. I mean, oh my was, Lord. It, yeah. I, I want to put in the hot coffee mod, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it was scary that that exists, but, you know, there's a lot terrible. of parents that don't – they don't monitor what their kids do. Like, every video game my daughter plays, I have an account as well, just so she knows that at any point in time, I could hop on and look and see what she's doing. And I think that – lets her know where her boundaries are. And I play with her as well. Like, like she's into Minecraft. She's into Roblox. I've got accounts for both. I, she'll come down on the weekends and I'll play on my computer and she'll be sitting on her iPad at my desk with me sitting on my lap and we'll play games together. And it's great. But I also know that at any point I can pop on and, and join her game and see exactly what she's doing. And she knows that. And I think that helps, but some parents, they're just like, okay, here's your here's your babysitter for tonight. Here's the new GTA oh five. Go go in your room and play for five six hours so mommy can have some wine and watch uh, watch Netflix. <laughs> it's 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 sad, but that exists and it's it's scary because back in the day, I think uh, you didn't you didn't have that kind of built in babysitter like we have now. Technology no. is just a, is is it's made parents lazy, and I I hope that more parents would engage and take a bigger part of their kids' lives. Well, rest assured they don't. Mm. <laughs> I mean, rest assured they don't, man. They're clearly not. Yeah. And it sucks because I wish they would too. So I, I don't know. But I, I think we, you and I have very similar sentiment um, in terms of how to, you know, do the best you can. At, at least right. how to, at least try. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. I mean, so, Put so forth any effort, any effort at all, even a little effort, and it goes a long way. It may not well, be the right thing, and it may not be the best thing, but at least if you're trying, you're doing something. Well, it's true, man. And like you know, my wife was raised in Oklahoma, so she's uh, definitely got sentiments of the South. And like you know, everybody knew everybody in the community, and everybody you know, uh, everybody watched out for everybody else, and everybody was involved in school stuff. And she was adamant about. Um, when our kids were born, she goes, we're going to be involved in school activities. And I was like, what? Cause I wasn't ever involved in a school, anything. I was like, I go to school. I hated it. I came home. My parents mm-hmm. never went to a school thing that I can remember. We didn't do like school function. It just wasn't, didn't happen. <laughs> you know, and we didn't have a bad childhood, but it wasn't, it just wasn't focused on like school, anything. It was like, you go to school, I go to work. We meet up at dinner. Then we separate again. Yeah. And like, you know, and whatever it was, what it was, but she was like, no, 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 no. We are going to be, we're going to volunteer. We're going to do a thing. And I was like, all right, well, this will probably wear off very shortly. No, no. Matter of fact, tomorrow I have two volunteer things I need to do at the, at the kid's school, one for each kid. Mm. So that's awesome. But, but what I think that does and what I think it has done is it lets the, the kids know like, well, if my dad's going to be at school, <laughs> I probably <laughs> can't screw around <laughs> yeah and so i should probably just do what i'm here to do and, and that'll be the end of it. yeah my wife is very happens. active as well she's very much like yours my wife volunteers she does the big uh she does the volunteer program at school so she goes in and has lunch with some of the kids that maybe don't have active parents in the school and mentors. She does a mentorship program. She's in there volunteering on field trips. She goes and has lunch with my daughter at least once a week where she'll go sit with her and her friends, you know, so she knows that we're very engaged. I've donated board games to the, to school's board game club and come in and, 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 
for all the open houses. So we try to be as, as big a part without being overly intrusive into her life. So she feels like she has some sense of independence, but she knows that we're at that school talking to people often enough that if she screws up, we'll find out about it. There's no way around it. So, and right. I think that that fear helps sometimes totally a little bit do. of fear, totally. a little bit of fear helps. It helps motivate them to, to stay on the straight, straight path. I, I agree. And it also, not for nothing, but you kind of get to see what the other kids are like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not always a good thing, but yeah, I, I, I agree. Well, that's, that's what I mean, because when you get that invite for like a play date, and you're like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> no, not that no. kid. I saw I saw that kid just like beating the snot out of some other kid or, or whatever, you know. Mm. I mean, you go, eh, that's cool. Anyhow, so that, okay, well, good. So back to gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so... How do people know you right now? Because one of the things about this show is, again, I we, it's on the periphery. It's on the tertiary part of of game the gaming space. Where I don't want to talk about games and you know game reviews and all that, but I want to talk about the people. But the people are in gaming, right? Sure. So the whole idea is, you know, people go to shows and they see, oh yeah, I know that guy. I've seen that guy around, and but they don't really know you. So where are people going to know you from right now? If they see you in a show, what are you doing these days? So I work for uh, a company called Cool Mini or Not, which uh, we call Come On. Are they they Um, doing? Yeah, yeah. They've been around for about (laughs) 10 years. (laughs) Okay, Um, clear this. Clear clear that up. Because a lot of people don't know. And I think you should should have a discussion with your marketing team Mm -hmm. and get the word out how to pronounce the name of your company. Because some people say it's, Simon, I've heard it is come on. It's, it's come on. Come on. Okay. Yep. Come on. It was always originally supposed to be come on, but they never really went to any great length to enforce it. And uh, finally, they're like, you know, we've got to start doing this because the sooner we do it, the sooner it'll be pronounced correctly and okay. we won't have to continually correct people. It is come on. Okay. Like, come on, come on and play. The idea was our, our organized play program is called Come On Play. Uh-huh. As like the moniker, like, come on and play, come play with us. So, um, so yeah, so the company I work for is come on C M O N, which stands okay. for cool mini or not, mm-hmm. uh, which originally started as a website where you could rate miniatures. And then they slowly started selling miniatures out of the garage of the founder's, uh, house and eventually grew into the point where they came out with a video game or, or a board game or two that really hit big, uh, it was originally a zombie side and, and, uh, uh, that took off and then the company just kind of expanded and grew and yeah. to where they are today, which is, you know, pretty solid oh, stand player, man. Yeah. Not, player. Yeah. Yeah. Without maybe not at the top, but we're in that top field of game companies that, you know, produces games. We put out well, a decent amount of games each year and, and they're pretty decent ones. Well, you guys are a publicly traded company, so yeah. I've looked at yeah, we are I've now. Yeah. Looked at them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Actually just <laughs> went into the big market too. Like we were in the, the, uh, Hong Kong Stock Exchange. We we officially went in there a couple days ago. Uh, previously, we were in their like subsidiary stock exchange. You had to go there first to kind of prove yourself. But they actually, we just went into the Hong Kong Stock Exchange this week, which was a big moment for the company. So okay. yeah, we're, we're we're definitely have grown. Like I said, it's it's been a good ten years for this company. As you uh, you, you see yourself sticking with it, or uh, what, what's yeah. how, how you liking it over there? You seem happy. Yeah, I you know I'm. I'm I'm a firm believer that you make your own happiness. So you, sure, there are bad situations, there are bad bosses and all that stuff. Everyone's had those at one point or time, but you can directly impact how how your job feels to you based on what you do. If you do your job and you do a good job at it, there's a good chance things will 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 be good for you. If you, you know, if you give up or say, oh, I don't like the situation and you just and you phone it in. Well, then it is going to be what it's going to be. But no, I've got a good boss. I've been fortunate enough that even with the turnover that this industry is well known for, that I've been lucky to every every time I've lost coworkers or people, we've been able to, to kind of pull together and make the best of it. So I know right now I'm in a pretty good spot. You know, I, I'm I head up our retail division. Uh, I take care of all of our, our retailers. I run our organized play program. And I uh, I'm pretty much handle all of the retail Kickstarter pledges. Uh, so it's been good. You know, I've got a good amount of uh, of, of responsibility. Uh, my boss gives me a very long leash because he trusts me and he likes the way I do things. Uh, the company has been very you're, appreciative. You're, you're, of that. you're working for the great Adam Lovell over there, aren't you? Yes, Adam Lovell. Yes, he is. Yeah. Uh, it was funny because when he first came to the company – 
I didn't have anything to do with him. He was like, he was in charge of like the warehouse and logistics. And I was, you know, at the time I was just handling our volunteer uh, coordination. I was running the, 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 the events staffing all of our volunteers. Uh, and then I got moved into sales uh, around the same time that he got brought into sales as well. Uh, kind of as a broader scope, he did the general manager thing and also started doing some sales work. And then our sales director left and he kind of got, me thrown at him basically said hey you've got a new employee now <laughs> it would luckily we hit it off well and we see eye to eye on a lot of things so it's been it's been real great working with him now and now he's the vice president of sales and i basically report directly to him we have a great working relationship he treats me right i try to put in a hard day's work for him and, and do what i need to do to to make make uh, our sales department successful and it's just like i said it's been a great relationship so far we've been uh been just hit the ground running and have been haven't looked back. I've I've always liked Adam. I worked with Adam a lot when he was at his other other spot before he came over to Come On. Mm -hmm. Um, and by the way, I called it Simon Forever, dude. I don't know if yeah. I was. I, I mean, just Simon Forever. So I'm glad to know it is finally Come On. That makes it me is feel, Come On. Yeah. It gives me joy, joy in my heart, <laughs> joy, joy feelings. But yeah, um, I don't know anyone that doesn't have a high opinion of Adam. I mean, everyone I talk to that says, "Oh yeah, you work with Adam. He's a great guy. He is. He's you know we've we've gotten to know each other a lot more over this last year as we've been working more closely together. And you know, like I said, everything that I had heard was true. He's you know he's a great person to work for. He's a great person to work with. Uh, you know, so I have nothing but high praise for Adam. Yeah, yeah. So what I. So if, so if you went to a show right now, where are people going to find you? Just Are you working the booth? Are you wandering around? What are you doing? It depends on the show. Like obviously uh, those that are in the know know about trade shows, which is like Gamma Trade Show, the Alliance Open House. Those type of shows I usually work the booth because it's all business to business, so publisher to retailer. Uh, so I spend a lot more front facing time, but at the bigger shows, like the consumer end shows, like your Gen Cons and Origins, I'm usually, it's going to be meetings or I'm going to be, you know, looking into groups and panels, uh, things that are more focused with the business side of it, because my job really doesn't relate to the end user anymore. Like it did in the beginning of my career there when I was more involved with the volunteers and more involved doing stuff to end user. Now my focus is completely business to business. So I'm not as prevalent in the shows, uh, as I used to be being out on the floor, trying to help consumers find the store, helping consumers get a demo. Now it's more just that business to business relationships that I'm trying to foster. And, you know, I got to be, that's, you know, having done that for a long time myself, I really preferred that over some of the other duties at a show. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> it's not a bad gig. It's not, it's, a, bad, uh, it's, it's, it's not a bad gig. No, no, no not at all. Good. I thought at first I was going to hate it because I spent so much time uh, working with the volunteer groups. And I will say, I do miss, I had a really great group of volunteers, uh, at, uh, come on before, uh, I moved from there. We had our demo staff was top notch. I mean, I would put them against damn near any staff in the industry. We had such a good group of people, hardworking, great experience. But once, once I got to know what the other half lived like doing these trade shows and, and not having to spend 14 hours on your feet, doing yeah. these running the floor and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty good. And, and do more power to the folks who are doing it, man. Because if I, if I had to still do that, that trick, Oh my God, I, I would have died. Like I can't do it in my, I, in my advanced age. I well, that's like, it hurts. dude. You guys, just like I left UPS because the work was too strenuous in my body. I'm a big guy. For those that know me, I'm 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 a, I'm a portly fellow, uh, and my back and ankles and knees felt a lot uh, jumping in and out of a truck as much as it did. So, you know, uh, I did my time. I've done plenty of booth setups and teardowns in the first three and a half four years of of doing what I did in the board game industry, and now I've gotten myself to a position where I don't have to do that as often. I still pitch in and help. It's not like I don't help at all, but right, the right, required right. amount of work I have to do. With the shows now is greatly reduced from what it was in the first four years and i'm 46 so it's not like i'm getting any younger so um, I'm, 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 you, actually, mm -hmm. I'm telling you it's uh, dude i'm right there with, i'm 47 and i'm like dude uh, the last show i went to which was about five months ago it was like I, I got back to my room one night and this wasn't like a hard show mm -hmm. <laughs> this was just one one of the shows, it had a lot of, you know, you're on your feet a lot, but it wasn't a hard show. We know, we know like the hard shows and the ones that just aren't as hard. Yeah. So at a not hard show, 
I went back to mom and I'm like, oh, my, my feet are so big. They're small. <laughs> my feet are swollen. Yeah, I've had I'm that like, before. I, I don't understand. And it freaked me out. So I was like, well, well this can't be good. Yeah. <laughs> like, do I, I got to go to a hospital? Like, I don't know what this is. I mean, you I, expect that at like Gen Con or Origins where you're walking 25,000 steps and you're just like, you know, on the hard concrete all day. Because most of those convention floors, unless you've got really good padding underneath your booth, it, it, it's painful. But when you're doing it at a show that you're like, you know, you're only working work four or five hours a day. Yeah, it's a little concerning. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, this ain't good. Like, I can't do this anymore. I should just got to be done. So I don't I'll bet a lot of people don't understand. Oh, and let me let me take a moment to clear up something that I have felt bad for for years. And I want to I want to say it right now in a public forum. When I first met you and I don't even know when we met at this point, it was. Some odd years it ago. It was Gen Con 2014. 2014. Okay. It was Origins or Gen Con 2014 because I was volunteering at Asmodee for their demo staff. That was my first board game convention. I had been to Gen Con in like 07 and 08 and stuff as a consumer. But uh-huh. the first one I worked was 2014 Origins and Gen Con with Asmodee. And I made a point to go to the upper deck booth at the time you were working there because I was a huge fan of Marvel Legendary. It was my favorite game at the time. So I wanted to go and just find out as much as I could about all the cool stuff coming out. And you uh-huh. were at the booth, and that's when I met you. It was I was pretty sure it was Origins 2014, and I think you remembered me from, at Gen Con 2014 because we talked at length about the game and my excitement for it. And that's kind of when we started just at shows, hey, oh, I remember that guy. Let's talk. And right. that was it, 2014. Okay, so, and it was a while back, so it's been like five years. So I don't know. I guess it's because I'm stupid or I just can't read. But dude, I I sincerely thought your name was Pete Shirley. Yeah, everyone I, does. I I thought your fucking name was Pete Shirley, and look how it's spelled. It just looks at a glance. It looks like Shirley. Yep. So you know, I my wife hates you, it. I, I I get it. But I mm-hmm. and I called you Shirley for years. Yeah. Years. I think it was yes. like two years. I called you. It Pete was at Shirley. least two years. Yeah. And I was like, you may have even called me Shirley one time this year. I mean, it just happens. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) does it. Everyone does it. If we're playing Madden, they'll just do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, and I'm like, oh, and I think one time I called you Shirley. You're like, bro, it's Shirey. I was like, what? What? What are you talking (laughs) about, man? I don't know. It's one of those names. It's one of those names that at a glance, everyone just automatically throws the L in it. It just it, – it, it happens, and it happens all the time. Like I kid you not, even like even my boss a couple years ago at, at Gamma was introducing me to speak in front of retailers. I had worked with this person at Asmodee for like two years and then another two years at Come On, and she still introduced me as Shirley. All right, so, so I don't feel quite – No, don't, don't feel bad at all. Heck, it's, so, it's uh, just one of those names. Yep. <laughs> but I, I, I just want to, I just, I'm sorry. I didn't no, know. I did good. not know. You know, at this point, it doesn't even bother me. I don't even correct people anymore. I just roll with it because it's just easy. It, man. Yeah, now they'll remember you. But I do, I also think what people may or they might not know about you, but I think it's a fabulous character trait of yours, my friend. Um, you are not just a game player. You do not just play the games. Mm-hmm. You design the games. I have designed a few, yes. Uh, not not a large, extensive collection of games, but I have small two, but distinguished <laughs> two games that have been published, and two more mm. that are in various parts of the published side, like they're in production or they're or they're in development. But I, I at, when it's all said and done, unless I get the wild hair uh, to decide to do more design work, I'll have four published games by the end of 2021, maybe. And probably four or five more games that I've done development work or playtesting work on. My name's in multiple rule books. Like I've I've only designed two games, but I've probably got development and playtest credit in a dozen more. Um, but games that my name is actually on the box should be four by the end of 2020 or or by mid 2021. But that's probably it for the 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 not so near future because. My norm, my my main job here at Come On has has stepped up in its role over the last year and a half, so it leaves me a lot less time and focus to be able to do the other stuff. So I've kind of put that part of my life on hold and just enjoyed what I was able to accomplish in hopes that you know down the road 
you know, that could be a great, you know, semi-retirement type career to get back into. And I may dabble in again here and again over the next, you know, decade or so on a couple other titles, but I'm not actively trying to design any more games at this time. So let me ask you, um, what was the first game of yours that got published? And more importantly, who was the saint? The <laughs> just the, uh, the the most generous person uh, that was walking the face of those who who gave you a shot. Huh. Well, so that's a funny story actually, because the first game I designed wasn't the first game that got published. Um, so I signed two. My first two games got signed at the same show. Uh, I was able to get signed Shark Island, which you may very well know because you signed mm, it. Yeah. Um, and I, even though it was the first game that got signed and it was my very first design, it, it was actually the second game that got published because I also sold Delve to Indie Board and Cards to Travis Chance, that same show, and it came out the Origins before right, Shark right, Island right. came out of Gen Con. So they beat you to the punch by a month. But the first game that was actually signed and the first, my very first game design with the help of, of course, don't want to forget to mention Richard Lanius because without him, none of this would have been possible. Hell but yeah. was was Shark Island. So yeah, you signed my first game. You had came to me, we talked and I told you I was dabbling in design and I told you that, was, and, and you told me that you'd always wanted a shark game and I'm being a shark enthusiast myself was like, I will take that challenge. And I talked with Richard about making a shark game. And I said, I already know someone who's interested in buying one if he could find the right one. So uh, I gave him my idea and he scrapped like half of it saying, well, well, first game, first game, you need to tailor that back a little bit. So as he started helping me with the design stuff, he really got excited about it. And he just said, you know, let's just do this together. I'm like, absolutely. Richard Lanius is a, for those of you who don't know, is a very uh, esteemed game designer. He's been in the industry for 30 plus years. He has some of the all-time great games uh, our industry knows. Games like Arkham Horror, games like Elder Sign, Defenders of the Last Stand, Defenders of the Realm. He has a large list of games. That... <laughs> so, so yeah, so he got involved. He's, he, he's, he ended up really enjoying the design and, and the rest is history. After Shark Island, uh, you know, he, we started working on Shark Island and he's like, hey, you know, I've got this game here that I've been trying to fix for years which ended up being Delve. So I started helping him with that. And then we ended up working on another project that, uh, that we, that we completed. That's we're just waiting on the, the publisher to, to finish production and make the announcement before I could talk about it. Um, and then we got another game coming out, uh, with Mondo later this year. Uh, that's a cool game. Now I don't know how much they, uh, there's no like secrecy on it, but, there's uh they haven't really announced stuff i usually don't like to talk about stuff until the company's announced it to give them right. the the first kind of breaking news but we have a really cool game coming out with them uh which with is who? slated for 2020 um, who's it coming out with? mondo with mondo oh, games mondo okay mondo, mondo. yeah gotcha. so so yeah so we've got one with mondo we have no, another one with another company but that's under nda so i don't want to even talk about anything oh, to do yeah, with yeah. that until until totally. it comes out but yeah so i'll have four games to my credit and then another half a dozen to a dozen uh you know, credits on other games, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun. It was a really cool thing to experience being in the game industry after being a fan and then volunteering in the industry and now working in the industry to get to see the publisher side and the design side. It gives me a greater appreciation for what it takes to, to, to make all this happen. And I think more people got a taste of that. They know that, you know, this is, this industry is not just about sitting around playing games. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And, and I think it would give people a greater appreciation for what we do. Oh, I, I, I would not disagree with that one bit. Now I will say, I'll give you, I'll give you a plug here because I'd like you to get uh, some royalties on it. Um, <laughs> I believe, I don't know for sure at this point, but I could say, I don't know, within the last like, 15 months i know shark island was readily available um do you do you know if it's still available from I, uh upper deck i believe it is still uh you can still get it i believe i'm pretty sure it's still available in some retailers i do not believe they've sold out yet i'm not aware that they've sold out yet so okay. you should be able to get it if you're into sharks and you like a a very uh uh, interactive combat driven game, then this will be something that you'll probably be interested in. And pay no mind that there's a game out there called Jaws. 
Hey, I I ain't gonna lie. That Jaws game is fantastic. Uh, I know, man. As a lover of shark games, I have no qualms about saying that Prospero Hall did and Ravensburger did a great job of recreating the feel of that movie. And for someone who loves Jaws and sharks as much as me, uh, that game is Jaws in a box. And uh, and 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 I encourage anyone who's listening. To not only look for Shark Island because that would make me happy, but give your do yourself a favor and pick Jaws up. Now, Jaws, you can find it very readily available. It's in Target. It's in oh, Walmart. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's in all your FLGSs. I think it's in it's in game stores now, right? It's, the, yeah, uh, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. yeah, they had a one month exclusivity in like Target, Target, and then after that, it went open everywhere. So you can yeah. you can find both games readily available at most of your normal board game stores. And if they don't have it, they can probably still order it through distribution. So, so here's but, what you should do: go to your Go to your FLGS. Don't go to Target. Go to your FLGS, right? Mm-hmm. Ask for Jaws. Because it'll be sold out, you say, okay, give me Shark Island. Right? <laughs> hey, right? I'll take it. I'll take right. it. You say, give me Shark Island. That one over there. Give me that Give me that one. That one with a badass cover. Give me that one. It does have a badass cover. I'm very proud of that box. I like I've got it. one I like framed. It. I've got one framed on my wall. That's how much yes. I like that, that box cover. So... Let me ask you one more thing, because this to me is one of the most important things about I, I when I look at you and I, I talk to you and we have our conversations, I have never asked you this, but it's something that fascinates me as well. And we just kind of touched on it very briefly a moment ago when you talked about like, hey, you're a lover of sharks. You know, I wanted to do a shark game. I I don't know why I am so fascinated by sharks, but I am. I am fascinated. I almost took a career direction years ago in college in marine biology because I wanted to study sharks and be around. And I ended up doing all the studying anyway about sharks. And we both love Shark Week, you know, all these things. But why are you so fucking into sharks? I'm I'm dying to. I've never well, asked you this question. I, I, I got the answer, but I can already answer. I already know why probably why you are into sharks. I'm definitely afraid of them for one. Well, well, yeah, but you you grew up in San Diego, right? Yeah, that's true. So, one, you were probably a kid when that first great white that was ever put in captivity was at the San Diego Aquarium, which was probably I, all over the news and I saw everywhere. It. I, was, I saw it. it was a, it was a small. Yeah, I remember. Then it died. Yeah. So right. So you 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 actually got yeah. to experience it. Plus, you're yeah. in San Diego, which the West Coast is notorious for shark attacks because of the activity in the water. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. and the, most of the hotbeds for shark diving are all there. So on your local news and and in your newspapers, as you were growing up, you probably wasn't a weekend that didn't go by in the summer that you didn't hear about a shark somewhere. Shape or form between news reports or articles or whatnot. So, as a kid growing up on a on a on a coastal town that's very water heavy, yeah, the ob- obvious fascination with the the life the sea life out there is going to be there. So that's probably where you got it from. I, I could only imagine growing up on Florida on the coast, even though it wasn't like great whites and stuff. Sharks. I mean, you could you couldn't swim twenty feet without seeing a shark. So, you know, but my actual fascination came for me when I was like five years old. So I, 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 when I was a kid, we used to live in this apartment complex that was right behind a drive-in movie theater. For those of you who don't know what a drive-in movie theater is, because they've been non-existent for like the last 20 years, it's a giant screen in the middle of a field that had little speaker sets st- stationed all over. You drive up and throw the speaker on your window. You go to the concession stand and put nachos and popcorn uh, on a little tray that would hang from your, from the side of your door. And you would sit in your car and watch movies with Just like a hundred other people. Tell me go watch the movie Twister. Tell me go watch Twister. They'll see. Yeah, They'll go see watch that. Twister. So anyway, so we lived behind a drive-in movie theater. So as a kid, my mom would tuck me in. And then when she went and left, unbeknownst to her, I'd get up and I'd open up my window and I would watch the movies without sound. So I saw I saw all kinds of movies I probably shouldn't have <laughs> talking about bad parenting. The movies I shouldn't have seen when I'm five. But – I can remember watching Hot Lead and Cold Feet, Smokey and the Bandit, uh, you name it. I remember seeing it. But Jaws, without sound, is horrifying. <laughs> and it it left a mark to the point where I was afraid to sit on the toilet. I was afraid to take a bath. 
I mean, it literally scared the bejesus. If there was water anywhere, I wouldn't touch it. I didn't go to the beach for like three years after I saw that movie. Because, I mean, this it was it, I mean, uh-huh. back then a movie would run the year it came out. But then in the drive-ins, it would run for years. Like you could see Jaws for, for five years after it came out in the drive-ins. Every summer, it would be on for at least a month in some in your local drive-ins. So I saw all kinds of movies when I was a kid. But Jaws distinctly put fear in me. And as I got older, the fear turned into curiosity. And then when Shark Week became a thing, I was still fairly young. And I haven't missed one yet. I mean, I technically missed one. I had to work Gen one year. It overlapped with Gen Con. I DVR'd the whole thing and watched it when I came home. Right. But I have not not seen Shark Week in the, its entirety since it started. So um, it just became a fascination. And then as I got older and had some more, you know, uh, indisposable income, I started collecting paraphernalia, which turned into a, a hobby of mine. So now, now. 70% of my basement is jaws, paraphernalia, posters, statues, that kind of stuff. It just it just became my thing. You know, it was everyone likes Star Wars, everyone likes Marvel, everyone likes Lord of the Rings, everyone likes these big IP things and people have collections and stuff. I wanted something that was different and back then at least 10-15 years ago fans of jaws were a microcosm of the geek geekdom it was it, it wasn't a popular collectible no you could find stuff dirt cheap i mean you could find original movie props 20 years ago for next to nothing right. but now it's become a bigger thing shark week has brought it into the visibility more now as more and more shark tv shows and movies and 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 stuff become available video games and all that it's become a bigger franchise now so it's a lot more common now there's shark book shark jaws and shark facebook groups that are thousands and thousands of people that are all talk about the collectibles and stuff so it's no longer the the unique thing about me now there's you know, millions of people across the world that are big into sharks. So it it was it was a cool thing. It, it was it's totally me. I don't know anyone else in the industry that is as crazy about jaws and sharks as me. So it kind of is my standout point. Although there are other people that like them, but not to the extent of 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 where I go with it. I would agree. I mean, you are. That's what I'm saying. Like people go, oh, is oh that shark guy? It's like okay, well he's got a fucking name. It's Pete, and it's not Shirley. It's Shirey. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's exactly but right. Here's the other thing. Now, this is the one of the last things I'll talk about. And I firmly believe like I am. I I firmly believe that megalodons still exist. I think they're just biding their time. And I do think that, you know, because the earth is what it is and it's, uh, you know, a majority of it is water. And what's it? Seventy percent water or something like that. 70 or 80 percent of its water. Yeah. I think it's like 70 and then like out of that 70, we've explored like 3%. Now, I don't know if those numbers are hundred percent accurate, but that's, you know, there's, those are ballpark, right? And if we've only explored such a small percentage, whatever it ends up being, three, five, 10, I don't know, 13, um, whatever it is, man, that's a lot of water. We haven't been in yet. <laughs> True. You know? True. You know? And, and, and for all we know, there could be one in the bottom of a trench somewhere, kind of like the Meg, the Meg, Alton, right? Steve Alton series. But there's such a large creature and with technology and cameras left the way they are nowadays, it would be pretty, I would think by now it would be pretty rare to have not seen a shark that size. It's one thing to not see like a, a certain type of fish that only, only lives 6,000 feet below sea level that, you you know, maybe we just, it doesn't get the visibility, but Meg swam the entire ocean. Like they oh, were, man. they would fight, they would attack on the coast. They would attack in deep water. Yeah. At this point, you would think somebody would have seen one other than the fictitious, you know, Oh, look, I saw the shark, but there's no nothing to scale it with. And it was 40 feet long. Well, most likely it was like 16 feet and it just looked 40 cause they're so huge. Not right. people realize sixteen feet. They think, oh, that's just a normal sized great white. But that's when you a see baby. a sixteen, when you see a sixteen foot shark up close, it's like the size of a school bus. So <laughs> it, it scales a little off on that. But <laughs> most scientists right. believe, based on the teeth fragments that have been found, that they've been extinct for well over a million years. I don't know if it, that's true or not, but the fact that with technology the way it is now, there's not a lot of stuff we don't see anymore. So. Like just like we uh, talked about earlier, there's not a lot of things you can't. If someone farts in India, you could find out about it. I think if a 60 foot prehistoric fish roamed the ocean, with all the cameras that are left behind for Shark Weeks and all the great hot spots for shark breed and all the deep sea exploration that's going on for for renewable resources and stuff, I would think some we would have found something by now. 
But oh God, I'm telling you, man, it, just give it time. You know, we haven't seen aliens either. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Just Very true. Time, those, hey, those... I would be excited to know that one of those it. creatures exists. I would love to see it, but I oh think that's Did never going to happen. you imagine? Oh, my Lord. I, they'd probably have to get a cardiologist to help resurrect me. I'd probably have a heart attack. All right, man. Well, look, that was uh, – is there anything else you uh, you got on your plate? Anything else you got going on? No, honestly. Free plug? Um, well, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, me being the company shill all the time, I will say yeah. that, uh, that zombie side second edition is, uh, the campaign's over, but they're still late backing. So if you're interested in the zombie side franchise or like it, uh, the brand new iteration of the original classic with updated rules, components, resculpted minis, it's a really, really sweet, uh, deal on that campaign we're giving you options to upgrade your existing pledge if you have one of the original zombie side pledges or just buy all brand new it's yeah. pretty good i will also uh, like i said i you should definitely check out jaws uh, by ravensburger great game uh, also check out shark island if you really like sharks i, I would appreciate that but uh, <laughs> but no you know i mean like i said um my whole recent like the last two weeks of my life has been consumed by Marvel. Uh, the Marvel yeah. LCG came out not long ago, as well as uh, Marvel crisis protocol, which is the miniatures game. So I've been extremely obsessed with that as a big Marvel fan, as I know you are as well. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm so it's an exciting time to be a gamer because there's just so many great IPs that are finally getting the attention they deserve. Cause surprisingly there has not been a lot of great Marvel board games over the, the 30 plus years that, that, you know, I've been really actively playing board games. Uh, uh, legendary was one of the outliers. There was an yeah, old Marvel welcome. Heroes. <sighs> yep, you're well. Hey, you thank you. And there was a Marvel Heroes game that came out like 15 years ago from Fantasy Flight. But other than that, there really has been a lot of junk. And for the first time in a long time now, we've got some new, fresh Marvel board games yes. that are coming into the market, and they're great. They're both great. <laughs> mm -hmm. Who who would have thought all these Marvel games would be coming out? I can tell you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah it should have happened. Should have happened years ago. I can't. I don't know why they waited so long. Well, wait till the ex you. wait yeah. till that license gets so expensive that you can't afford it. You know, you could have done it years ago when it was dirt cheap. Well, Tony, man, there's a lot of good stuff out there now. I mean, there really is. There, there really yeah. truly is. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of good stuff. Uh, Thanos by, Rising is a yeah. great game. Absolutely. Marvel Champions and Marvel Protocol, amazing games. Uh, Legendary is still a good game too. It's just, I think it's lost its way over the the last few years. It's just a lot of, uh, yeah. it's, it's it's just it's so much so much content at this point. I think that game's kind of at at the end of its lifespan. But I think yeah. these new fresh games are reinvigorating the IP and the movies. Obviously, have helped that tremendously. So that'll without help keep question. sales. Yeah. Well, without question, man. All right, dude. Well, look, man, it's been a blast, brother, and I uh, do appreciate you coming on the show. I'm going to have to have you back sometime. I didn't even get to half the stuff I want to talk about. Hey, no problem. I'm happy to come back anytime you got an uh, open slot. You give me a call, man. All right, brother. All right. All right.